Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 26th, is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. It's been a long, long time since he's been on the show. I haven't seen Sam in, in a while. Sam Holloway, a dear friend of mine, uh, my neighbor. I time to time see Sam walking his dog. Uh, we chat politics. And uh, so I said, Sam, you got to come back to the show. Uh, and so, Sam, I'm just going to do this. Uh, it was a way of introducing people to you. Uh, who may not remember the last time on the show, Sam makes his living as the firefighter for the city of Chicago, but the views and opinions of Sam are Sam's. And I say this because even though <laughs> the right wing Sam says they're going to stand up for your right to speak your mind, I got a feeling you're going to be the first person they desert. Uh, if you ever caught hell for the things that you have to say. So leave him alone. It's his, his views, his opinions, and don't censor him. How about that, Sam? Did I do a good job of protecting you from whatever the consequences of what you're going to say? Oh, sure. I appreciate it. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I'm good. Because I, I, I just want to make sure you can hear me. I don't know how this thing works. Um, I, I Thank you uh, also to Dennis for saying, uh, you know, the way you introduced me, the return of it sounded like I'd actually gone somewhere, which made me feel good for a second. Uh, yes, no, he hasn't gone anywhere. He's staying protected. It was funny because uh, he's a firefighter. And the other day I was talking to Sam uh, about the reopening of schools. We'll get to that. And he was just about to launch into uh, some brilliant insight when all of a sudden I hear in the background like a squawking voice, rah, rah, fire engine too. And Sam goes, I'll have to call you right back. And apparently his firehouse is not far from where I live because the next thing now I hear is, rah. oh my God. <laughs> what was it, Sam? It was a, a Alexa. Uh, Alexa. Yes, I think it was a bad cook. We're getting a lot of that now because there's a lot of people who just don't cook, but they're being responsible for the most part and staying indoors, which means they're, you know, burning food on the stove more. And uh, so, so they so, said, so fewer fewer COVID nineteen infections and more burnt meals. I see. Uh, well, I suppose that's better. Bird meals are better than COVID. All right. Uh, Sam Holloway is generally of the Green Party persuasion. Uh, uh, not anymore. Not anymore? Well, let's put it this way. I, I, I hung with him for a little while because I was, uh, you know, before 2000. I've never voted before 2000. The 2000 presidential election was my first vote. So... And that, you know, when uh, Ralph Nader ran as a Green, that sort of got my attention because, you know, I, I was always really pessimistic about politics, and I'm going to keep this really brief. So, so I never was, um, I never really saw the Democrats as my party 
or, or a viable moral alternative. So, you know, there, there's been a couple of Democrats in my lifetime that I voted for, but it, that's really the exception rather than the rule. So just it just seemed like the Greens had the only candidates on, on the Illinois ballot that were any that were worth voting for. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't been the case lately. We actually had uh, I, this last election, I voted for Gloria LaRiva for president. Mm-hmm. And I wound up leaving a lot of slots blank because there were, you know, there were actually I did vote for a couple of Greens, just not for president. Mm-hmm. Did you vote for any Democrats on the ballot? Uh, one. Kim Fox. Okay. <laughs> and, and, I'm just, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Go ahead. It, it, it wasn't because I'm a fan of hers. I, I generally don't think a vote for any for anyone who's running for prosecutor. I look at, you know, sort of with a jaundiced eye. But uh, it, I was voting. This is actually a case where I was voting against the, the reactionary candidate. Yeah. The, the, you know, you remember the, when the Pat uh, and the Friends of the Proud Boys came out and marched against them? Yes. They well, they are some some of those people, I'm sure, and they're and they're big money. Uh, you know, there's the right wing rich people, and there's the sort of the moderate rich people. Well, the, I'm going to guess the right wing rich people wanted Kim Fox gone, and they were in line with the cops and the the other reactionaries and. <laughs> They, they put up a candidate, uh, and that's who I was voting against. I don't even remember his name, but I just knew he was sort of like the fascist candidate. So I figured we better put Kim Fox back in to keep that guy out. Yeah. Well, that's why I voted for uh, Joe Biden, but we'll, we'll get into that. I want to hold off on that. I got to okay. talk local news first, uh, but I had a very sure. similar mindset when I voted for Joe Biden over Donnie Trump. Uh, and the, the candidate's name they were trying to think of was Patrick O'Brien. And I do not know, Sam, why I remember such things. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> all right. So I want to preface uh, this by reminding people uh, how I first became aware of Sam and his politics. I tell this story every time he comes on the show. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, I did not know Sam, even though he doesn't live far from me. Uh, but my wife knows uh, Sam's wife. And uh, she told my wife this story about her husband, who's a firefighter. And this was back in the, like, 2011 when Mayor Rahm got elected mayor of the city of Chicago and just feeling it. He was just feeling that, like, centrist dem. Uh, neoliberal, whatever you want to call it, juices flowing. And the way to bring the city in order is to cut spending. And one of the ways to cut spending is to cut pensions. Okay, and that's how you show how tough you are. And so he started going from firehouse to firehouse. He's actually literally going to firehouse, making sure he had his bodyguards with him, of course, dropping in unannounced uh, and saying, guys, I love you, but I'm going to have to take your pension. That is all there is to it. We can't afford your pensions. We have no choices. At, At which point, one, Sam Holloway. At the firehouse where Ron dropped in, said, uh, actually, you do have a choice, uh, Mayor Rom. You could slap a LaSalle Street tax uh, on the traders <laughs> uh, at the Mercantile Exchange, and that would raise more than enough money to buy pensions for everyone. And what did Mayor Rom tell you, Sam, when you told him that? I don't think that's a good idea, and I don't think you'll find anyone in, in the legislature that does. 
And then he said, uh, if you think it's such a good idea, you should run for office. Yeah. And then he got the hell out of the firehouse. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I wrote a story about it, and we've been friends ever since. All right. So what's your general attitude? Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, who, of course, replaced Rahm Emanuel, <laughs> uh, has told teachers in no uncertain terms and all school employees, clerks, principals, uh, you better get back in those schools or you're going to be fired or docked or in trouble or penalized. Get in those schools now, right now. Right. Go ahead, Sam. Well, you've had, you, you've had Stacey Davis-Gates on, the, the uh, vice president of the CTU, right? Correct, many times. And, and you know she's brilliant. And she's a lot more diplomatic than I am. So I heard her today on WBEZ. Uh, or maybe it was NPR. I don't know. I, I didn't. I kind of caught it in the middle. And she very, very eloquently uh, spelled it out uh, and basically said, if it's so important that you put kids back in schools, even though, what is it, 80% of the parents have said they're not going to send their kids back current with the way things are. If you're so hard up to get 20, and I, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, if you're so hard up to get those 20% of kids in the schools and make sure there's teachers in the classroom, teaching, by the way, a hybrid school uh, day, because now if you've got kids that have there's butts and seats and they're teaching online, I have no idea what, what, what Lori Lightfoot or her lackeys at CPS, I don't know, I have no idea what they think is going to happen with that. You, maybe they're all going to be sitting on computers in the school, whatever. But if you're so in hell bent on having that happen, where are the vaccinations? Why aren't vaccinations a part of that plan? So I, I there's, you know, I can't fathom other than now you tell me because you've, you've dealt with this sort of thing longer than I have. I cannot fathom what the goal is. It's either to kill teachers or to, to weaken to weaken the union because it's. I mean, how many kids are going to be helped by this? I, I mean, versus versus the risk of, of getting them infected with COVID nineteen, and we don't know what COVID nineteen. There haven't been any longitudinal studies done. We have we have no idea what an infection of COVID nineteen does to kids long term. We damn sure know that they can take it back and kill grandma. Now, I don't, now I've heard all this about the private schools in the suburbs. Now, they've had some infections, and there's some claims that their back to school putting butts in seats has been successful. I would wait a little while. You know, uh, this is an airborne virus that, that we're still learning about. You put anyone in an enclosed space. There's only so much protection you can do. There's only so many precautions you can take. Uh, I, I don't know. We're not risking our daughter with it. There's no way in hell. Yeah. We don't want to risk our daughter. We don't want to risk our daughter's teachers or any of the staff at school. I've met some of those people. I really like them. I don't want to kill them. <laughs> uh, I, whatever gains that could be made by having our daughter in a classroom is not worth that. This is a hard, difficult time for everyone. But the reason it's gone on so long, 
and, and this, I, I, you stop me if I'm getting too far off track, uh, Ben, but mm-hmm. the reason this has gone on too long is because of the policy behavior like Lori Lightfoot's, you know, pretending that you can just tough it out without having, a, you know, without doing everything you need to do to contain this virus first. That is the priority. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything else until you do that. You can't test the waters in the classrooms or putting kids in the schools. No, we've we've already seen this doesn't work. I don't care what this. And and I'm sure you'll find some parents who are willing to say, damn the torpedoes. You're going to get those. Well, to that point, uh, a couple of things. I've made a couple of points I want to get to. First of all, I want to answer. You asked a question early on, and I'll I'll give you my answer, and we'll move on. Uh, What's the point? And the point is... Uh, to weaken the union. And to a certain degree, it's successful because you get teachers squabbling with each other. There are teachers who want to go back to school. There are yep. overwhelming majority don't want to go. There's teachers who don't want to, uh, they don't want to lose the paycheck or they don't want to get a punishment or they don't want to read an uncomplimentary editorial in the newspaper or whatever the reason. They, maybe they just really want to get back to the classroom. They love doing whatever the reason. You've already caused a split. So it's been a very successful tactic uh, from that standpoint, and when you look at who's cheering her on and slamming the unions, uh, Sam, I, I think that your point, my, my answer to your question is it's a union-breaking tactic. That's what, exactly what it is. All right, now, uh, you, you said that, uh, and it's true, like 80% of the parents have said they're not going to return their kids to school. It's a it's a sizable number. Uh, if it's 80, 70, I'm not quite sure. I've seen different polls, whatever. The point is, most parents are saying they're not going to send their kids, but some parents say they they will, including, and this was in today's Sun Times. I sent you the article. Uh, close to home, very close to home to Sam and myself. There's a school called Coonley Elementary, not far from where I lived. I've lived in this house uh, for so long, Sam Holloway, that I remember when Coonley was like a just an ordinary Chicago public school, sort of like a working class school. This is like in the '80s, and over time, this area has gentrified. I'm very happy. It's you know, it's. People love Chicago. They love my neighborhood. They moved here. They love our neighborhood. And Cooley is now a far different school than it was back in the day. And it's filled with upscale parents. And they're urging uh, the uh, the schools to reopen and the teachers to go back uh, to work. And they have a, a group of 11 parents. I'm, re- I'm just reading from today's Sun-Times. 11 parents at Coonley Elementary, all of them doctors, shared their concerns this weekend in a letter advocating for the reopening school. Just let's pause, Sam. 11 doctors at a school. I told you this when I saw this story. I'm like, I, 11 doctors in one school? And I told you, it's usually a three-to-one ratio, so that must mean there's at least 33 lawyers uh, in that school, you know, that is gentrification. I love, I'm trying to think when my kids went to school, it's been a long time. If there were any doctor's kids, uh, let alone 11. So they want to send their kids, uh, back to this classroom. They want to open up the school and they're doctors. So presumably they would know more than, uh, a, uh, newspaper writer or a firefighter. So what's your response to the 11 doctors at Cooley elementary, uh, Sam, who want to send their kids back to school? Well, I, I hate to single them out, but you know, they did put themselves out there. So, uh, but no, we really don't have to single them out because I think this is also, uh, this also reflects some systemic issues. Now, I'll try to focus in as much as I can. You know that's difficult for me. I can I do I do go on. But um 
I, I, I'm looking at this article now, and this is the line that gets me. This is from the letter, apparently, according to the Sun-Times. Quote, we will have positive cases in our school after reopening, but this does not mean the system has failed, unquote. Um, I'm, all right, I, is, this, is this a family-friendly show? Yeah, you can swear all you want. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. What what are they are I mean what system is not a failure? Okay, let me put it this way. I my my spouse and I are friends with one of the teachers. She has immune issues. My wife has immune issues. I know people that have immune issues. Some people may not even know they have immune, you know, immune disorder deficiencies or whatever you want to call it. Okay. Which teacher, which which teacher, which teacher's funeral would you consider a success? Okay, and and this is what I was saying before. The only way you can do the best, the only way I would personally accept this as a best practice is we've done the best we can is if every single teacher and every single staff member had the opportunity to be com complete the battery of vaccinations. Once that's done, then you can tell me about all your other safety measures or whatever, which are going to be ineffectual. But if you, if you add that on to, to, your, to a baseline protection, which is vaccinations for everyone who wants them, and if there's some who don't want the vaccinations, well, that's fine. If they want to you know, roll the dice with their own health, that's another issue. And I, and I do understand some people have legitimate concerns about the vaccine, but that's a whole other issue. But if, if all the teachers have the opportunity to take the vaccine and the union can say, okay, this is good enough, this is the best we can do, let's, keep, let's move forward with, with all the other safety measures. And, and I'm very skeptical that City Hall has actually come up with anything, any safety measures that are, I, I really am. Uh, but that aside, um, if 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 we were to, if we were to start with that, okay. But the city is saying, CPS is saying, let's roll ahead with what we've got. We'll, we'll vaccinate the teachers at some point. <laughs> okay, well, but again, this goes back to that that sentence from the letter. How many dead teachers? How many dead custodians? How many dead teachers' aides would you would you say is not a failure? Because mm. I'm going to go with zero. Yeah. But I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm no longer a coonly parent. So yeah. uh, they kicked you out. Radical troublemaker. All right. Um, I didn't mean to pick on Cooley, but there's a certain right. attitude. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to just put it out there, Sam, and they get your response. Yeah. Okay. And I've, I've lived in Chicago a long time, since 1981. Uh, and one of the things I realized, so I'm not from Chicago, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm like, Sam was born and raised in the city of Chicago, proud graduate of Kenwood High School, okay? So he is Chicago through and through. I am a transplant. God help me. So, 
Yeah. <laughs> he stayed. He, he, stayed. <laughs> he, 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 stayed. he could have left, could have gone anywhere. Oh, I think I'll stay in Chicago. Uh, anyway, so I, I, I made a, my own decision to move here, and then I stayed. But one thing I really noticed, uh, Sam, and I, I learned this early on, it's been uh, reinforced all the time. There's just a different attitudes that people have related to where they live, how much money they make, their class, etc. cetera. Uh, and one thing I learned, uh, and I, I don't want to speak in broad stereotypes because not everybody fits this, but there's a certain type, a North side type. And a North side type, uh, I've noticed this in the last few mayoral elections, and feel free to vigorously disagree with me, Sam, and defend the North Siders if you want. Because we, we have First Amendment rights on the Venturovsky show, and you don't have to all agree with me. But there is this, this North Side type. And uh, in general, they are just got this disdainful irritation at the teachers' union, particularly since Karen Lewis. They really had a thing with Karen Lewis. They did, didn't like her. They, they would, and they would blame me because everybody knew I liked her. They go, why can't she just be a little more diplomatic? Or, you know, and a lot of some of them, like there was a weight issue, Sam. You know, like, is that mm-hmm. the perfect type that you want the teachers? I know what they were saying. You know, Sam, I knew what they were saying in bed. I mean, Ben, you got to admit that you do. When you see her on TV, she doesn't look like, like, is that the representative that Chicago teachers would want? There's a, there's like a lot of North Siders obsessed with weight. It's a, it's a whole other thing, Sam. All right. So what's embedded in uh, the attitude of the parents, of Northside parents, Cooley parents, of other Northside parents I've seen, is that somehow or other, this COVID thing is not as bad uh, as Ben or Sam are saying, and uh, that they that we will survive it. It affects other people. Am I being unfair, Sam? Go ahead. No, no, you're not. But, but I, again, I'm going to say that we can't just pick on these people here because, and some of these attitudes are attitudes I, I hear on the job. Um, but I, I, what I think is, this is my this is my belief, and I could be wrong. You tell me what you think about this. They look, the people in these North Siders, and this would include my colleagues as well as the people around here. They see firefighters and cops, for example, and probably like sanitation workers, you know, city sanitation workers. Those are the people who protect their property. So we're on another level. They don't look at us. They won't look down their noses at us necessarily. Definitely not publicly because we protect their property. That's, that's the role of the cops. That's the role of the firefighters, the, the, the streets and sand. That's what they do. Teachers. Um, in, in an abstract sort of way, a quote-unquote good school raises potentially raises property values. But in this country, education is a commodity hmm. like any other. That means uh, I, I'm, I, I'm trying not to negate my own argument here, but what I'm getting at is a lot of people look down on teachers because they see the education itself as the commodity and the people who provide it, not so much. Mm. So in other words, um, getting into a quote unquote good school 
is more important is actually in my opinion is more important to a lot of people than what your kids actually do when they get inside there so just having them be there because because think about who we're talking about these are people who have who can they may not have a lot of time because they may be working 80 hours a week who knows i don't know what what people do that's not none of my business i refuse to do that but that's just me but um these are people who have, generally speaking, have some kind of economic privilege. If their kids are, are doing poorly in school, they can hire tutors. There's, they can fill in the gaps that a public education, no matter how shiny the school is supposed to be, no matter how highly it's rated, if there's, their kids are individually having problems, these people have the means to fill in the gaps. And frankly, if, you know, what, if, Tell me who's going to do better, uh, uh, an A and B student from a dirt poor family, or a B and C student from a rich family. Who's got better prospects? The rich kid. Exactly. So no matter what these kids do in in, in the actual school, mm. as long as they're not distracted from doing the basics, you know, um, they're going to be fine. So education in this sense is, is just a commodity. Mm. And the people who provide it are not going to be seen in the same way as the people who protect property values in other ways. Well, there's, and, there's, and, there's also the reality, Sam, that many of these uh, the parents uh, that are saying send my kids back have health care. Oh, and, absolutely. I mean, think about it. 11 doctors. If their yeah. kid gets sick, if their kid's get sick they know they know where to go they know what to do they know who to call do you think poor families have that access a lot of them don't even have health insurance so they can't afford to get sick um yeah so yeah and it's not just the kids that they're worried they can they can take care of themselves yeah. you know and uh so yeah yeah I, I, there's a whole lot of things that go into this there's a whole lot of issues and i think but i still I'm not willing to put this all on the parents. I think at some point you have to point at city hall because they're and, and even re reading the, the headline of this sun times article, they bear some culpability too. So CP, CPS parents caught between district and CTU. Well, there's somebody missing from that equation and there's a lot of things missing from that equation. You know, the city city hall is the one driving this, the district, the district is basically does whatever the mayor wants it to. Yeah. So this is the mayor pitting the parents against the union. That's what it is. It's, it's city hall pitting the parents against the union. The, the parents aren't really, it's, been, it's not some natural phenomenon. It's just sort of happened. And this, the lack of stability is because we don't have policies now, if you want to tell them we don't have the resources, okay, that's that's another thing. Go talk to to, to Uncle Joe about that. But um, <laughs> the lack of the, the lack of quote unquote stability is because there are no we have no public health infrastructure, and there's been no push to to create the foundation that we need for stability, which is, as Stacey Davis case so eloquent, eloquently put this this afternoon, vaccinate all the teachers that want it. Start with that. And as, as soon as those, those both rounds of vaccinations are done, then we can talk about putting butts in seats again. Yeah. But the city, the city is not even willing to do that. 
All right. Now that leads to another question I have for you. Oh. And this one, uh, this one's, I, you, I've been just like walking around. It's really, I'm all alone uh, in the pandemic. So mostly I like talk to myself. Uh, and, and then I have this podcast, so I get to talk to, you know, but basically I go for walks at night. I talk to myself. And so one of the things I go is, I don't understand why the richest country in the world is incapable of getting a vaccine to its people. I, I'm, I'm, this is baffling me, Sam Holloway, and okay. I, I just we, do not understand this. Go ahead. I'll give you the I'll give you the short answer, and it and it comes, but it, it is also the answer to another question: How did this country become the richest country in the world? I mean, go way back to the beginning. What what when the first Europeans set foot in this hemisphere? What did they start doing? How did what were they here for? And how did this become a country based from that? They were killing people. They were murdering people, stealing their land and resources and making, I mean, literally, they came here to murder people and took their gold and land. And when that wasn't enough, they brought other people over. They stole people from another continent, brought them here and forced them to work for free for generations. So this is a country that became the wealthiest nation that it, the, the world has ever seen, but it didn't do it through magic or, or, or through virtuous endeavors of, of whatever, I don't know, enterprise. No, it was genocide, slavery, land theft. And as we're seeing now, they, they didn't just destroy people. They've also, we also destroyed the land. And all this is how we built up all this wealth. And it is, it's as if that's not bad enough. A lot of the wealth that we claim, a lot of the wealth that we could point to the computers and books and say that we have is imaginary. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's that wealth, that tremendous, ridiculous wealth is the product of like crimes against humanity and nature. And we're very good about disappearing that from our consciousness. And I'm not just talking about right-wingers. I'm talking about liberals, too. And even some who call themselves progressive and on the left. We disappear a lot of that shit from our consciousness. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of, I mean, in a sense, you kind of have to. Otherwise, you'll go insane. Yes. But I, I try to keep it close by right, so that still, I never forget. But why forget i wish i hadn't said the got you on a tangent with the richest country in the world why are we incapable of getting the vaccine what is going on with the way we do healthcare in america in 2021 that we can't get the vaccine to absolutely everybody why is it dripping out drips and drabs well today there's an announcement well, we have a thousand more but you see that's what i'm getting at then is this is a nation built on brutal exploitation not on caring. Now, you could I could point to your countries that aren't having this problem. I can give you two I give you two examples where their their infection rate is in, is like exponentially lower than ours. Um, the the people who get sick are cared for. And I'll give you two. Uh, Vietnam and Cuba. And there's more, but I mention those specifically because those are socialist countries. Now, we could, I'm sure we could have, a, if you said 
okay, I want somebody to give me some criticism of Cuba and Vietnam. We could have people lined up around the block right now. But one thing I will give those countries, and I don't think anyone can argue against this, is that their basic philosophies are, we are going to take care of the people first. Everything else comes secondary. We take care of the people first. In this country, it's profit before everything. Profit before everything. If it doesn't make someone a buck, what it, oh my God, why would you want to do that? Mm. And we have no public health infrastructure because we decided long ago that, wow, this is something everyone needs. Talk about a bonanza. <laughs> and everyone was in on it. The unions were in on it. The big unions were in on it. We don't have a public health infrastructure because of that, because we decided that we're going to make a buck off of it. And that's why you can't get these vaccines out to people because there's no, there's no way it's going to happen. We're, we don't have the physical infrastructure. We don't have the inclination to, to put any, anything in motion policy-wise. I mean, didn't Joe Biden just say the other day, well, it's going to be a few, we're not going to get through this for the next few months. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, he, it's, just, he, he just basically it, surrendered. It, it, there's a vaccine. They yeah. figured out they had the smartest scientists they've got. Yeah. Uh, uh, presumably yeah, all, the problem. Yeah, presumably all coolly parents. And they got him in a room <laughs> and they figured out the vaccine. But someone owns the vaccine. That's so bizarre. Yes. They own yes. the freaking thing that our country needs to be saved. And because they own it, only they get to distribute it. So we have to wait for the people who own it. I'm like, what? Did you, and did you, I forgot where I saw the story, but it's, it's circling out there. It's, I thought it was a joke at first, but I should have known better. Pfizer uh, basically said... Well, in each vial, and I'm, the numbers may not be correct, but this is the idea, basically. In each vial, we thought there were six doses. Well, there's seven. So you've got to pay us for the yeah. seventh dose in each vial. And no one, there was no protest. There was no, there were no, I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine. If, if you put me in charge of this country, and, and some lawyer or whatever from some executive from Pfizer call, goes on TV and says, uh, well, we think the U.S. government or whoever should be pay us for that stuff. You know what? Uh, they're going to get a visit. <laughs> that thing will be resolved in a hurry. If, yeah. if, the visit, if the visit from my attorney general office doesn't get to them, the next visit won't be quite as friendly. But we don't have that kind of country. But we, we have a country where those kind of people, the people that would do that kind of shit, they run things. They're in charge of things. Everyone answers to them. That's why, Ben, that's why we don't have, that's why this is this whole, I, I think someone was, what is it, we've got less than 1% of the population vaccinated right now. Uh, it's it, it, it's <laughs> Sam. I, it's just so bizarre. Uh, I spent the entire weekend, uh, re, you know, talking to teachers and reading the emails they've been getting from the central office, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then in addition, not particularly for the story, but just anecdotally through my life, talking to people who either. Uh, 
got vaccinated or know how to get vaccinated. And the way we're rolling out this vaccination, where you have to know somebody, you have to be in the right pod, you have to have the right connection, the right insurance, is so antithetical to good health. And to have this biased system of doling out the vaccine to the people who are on the end, sometimes it's just purely accidental. It's not like, you know, they're really wealthy people. It's just they happen to be in the right, what, hospital. Their insurance companies and their insurance carriers with the, affiliated with the right hospital or something. But whatever. Mm-hmm. That you have to have either luck or clout to get the vaccine that is going to save your life or enable society to go back to work is freaking insane. And well, well, welcome to the USA. Uh, yes, welcome to the USA. All right, Sam, now what we're going to do is, uh, Dennis is back at his desk, we're going to play. You did not vote for Joe Biden, and I'm going to see if you have uh, regrets and remorse. I'm gonna, we're going to play a little clip uh, for Joe Biden, and uh, this is Joe Biden at being asked a point-blank question about Chicago, uh, and then uh, we'll get your response, and perhaps when you're done hearing Joe Biden articulate, you go, you may say, you know what, I really regret not voting for him. So, uh are you ready, D? Yeah, yeah. And also, by the way, 10, 10 bonus points for not falling asleep during this. Here we go. Uh, the first, you have made reopening schools a central part of your first 100 days agenda. And you've long portrayed yourself as an ally to the teachers and the unions. Right now, the Chicago Teachers Union has refused. They've defied an order to return to in-person classing for in-person classrooms because of a lack of vaccinations. Do you believe, sir, that teachers should return to schools now? I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers, and for the the help that's in those schools maintaining the facilities. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students, and we need the capacity, the capacity to know that, in fact, the, the, the circumstance in the school is safe and secure for everyone. For example, there's no reason why the clear guidance will be that every school should be thoroughly sanitized from the, from the laboratories to the hallways. And so this is about making, and none of the school districts that I'm aware of, there may be some public school districts, have insisted that all those pieces be in place. And I might add, it's the same kind of thing I hope we can do with small businesses and businesses, making sure they have the capacity to test their workers when they come in, to make sure they have plastic dividers in, 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 uh, be, between their booths and their, in their restaurants, et cetera, oh to make God. sure they can sanitize. So it's not so much about the idea teachers aren't going to work. The teachers I know, they want to work. They just want to work in a safe environment and as safe as we can rationally make it. And we can do that. And we should be able to open up every every school, kindergarten through eighth grade, if, in fact, we administer these tests. And we'll have the added advantage, I might add, of putting millions of people back to work 
all those mothers and fathers that are home taking care of their children rather than go to work even when they can work. They're not able to do it unless they have the luxury of working distance-wise like many of us do. They're not able to do it. And so this is about generating economic growth overall as well. All right, President Joe Biden uh, tackling a very direct question for some unknown reporter. Sam Holloway, uh, your thoughts that you regret not voting for Joe Biden? I think you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> no, I don't regret it. He's, he, he's blowing hot air. You know, he, and, and it and that <laughs> sanitizing the spaces, putting up dividers. Come on, no. Um, I will. I will give him credit. Anything he's he's at zero with me. He's at zero credit with me. I'll give him a couple of points when the when the two thousand uh, dollars checks that he promised, you know, the voters of Georgia that they would be getting immediately yeah. after the election, immediately after the election, or or you know, as soon as he got into office, rather, those checks will be going out. Well, then it turned to well, okay, you got six hundred from Trump. We're gonna we're gonna make up the difference and give you fourteen. And now it's oh wait, well the Republicans aren't happy. We're gonna see if we we're willing to negotiate that fourteen. Yeah. No, so so that's how much credibility Joe Biden has yeah, right yeah. now. Uh, uh, yeah. Zero. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I go ahead. No, and, and frankly, all that stuff he was talking about. Uh, it's it's moot. Like I, I'm going to bring up Stacey Davis Gates again. She said it. The teachers asked basically asked for one thing now: give us the chance to be vaccinated. Then we'll talk. But all the teachers have access to the vaccine, get vaccinated, then they'll be willing to go back in. That's pr- sounds pretty straightforward to me. Yeah, it does. And uh, to that point, I I just find it uh, baffling. And inexcusable that if our powers that be in our city are saying it is utmost importance to open these schools because they care so much about uh, the the education of the children, the most at risk children. They always say that it's it's the poorest children, and the only impediment to immediately opening those schools is to vaccinate the employees who work in those schools, why they aren't moving heaven and earth to vaccinate those employees. Sam, that is such an inconsistency on that point. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a word for that. It's called a lie. They're lying. Yeah. Well, you would think they would be. I mean, if some, it seems like they are. I mean, I can't say maybe they really believe what they're saying. I don't know that. I don't know which is more dangerous. To yeah. be honest with you, are they incompetent or are they dishonest? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Seems to, but it's it, it's bad either way. But uh, yeah, oh, I don't know what to tell you, Ben. Where it's uh, is he still there? Uh oh, did we lose him? I don't know. Oh, he's frozen. Either that, either that, or he's speechless. I told him to close. He should have closed this window. <laughs> we'll see what happens. This happens from time to time. Usually, he kicks right back on here. Uh, so we'll just hang tight. Hey, Sam, how you been? I'm not too bad, Dennis. How about you? I've been okay. Uh, holding up in the snow, all right. Oh yeah, I just I, it's keeping me busy. It's giving me something to do when I'm at home. <laughs> there you just go. Shoveling the snow. Yeah, I get kind of. Uh, 
frustrated working from home sometimes, but uh, right now I'm all about it. <laughs> no, you, no, it's all right. It's not so bad. I mean, I, I can't work from home, but yeah, I don't mind it. I, I don't work too far from home, so. Right, but gonna, yeah, so I'm going to remove right. Ben. I'm going to remove Ben from uh, the meeting. Hopefully, he'll call us back. Um, I'm going to play. Okay. I'm going to play a little music here, and then uh, we'll get right back to it. Okay. Sounds good. Hang tight with the Sam and hey, listeners, hang tight. Ben Drosky show will be right back. All right, I think we're back. Ben, are you there? I'm here. Can you, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. But I was saying, Sam, I, just this uh, acknowledgement broke down the the show. Uh, I voted for Joe Biden. I was proud I voted for right. Joe Biden. Uh, I took a picture of it. Just I was so proud of that vote, uh, mainly because I despised everything that Donald Trump uh, represented. And I want him defeated. But uh, I, I've been watching what you just alluded to and the, um, the backtracking by Biden on the $2,000. And it's just... Sam, it's like deja vu. And all my real lefty friends like you, like the real lefty, lefty, lefty friends are going, I told you so. I have no answer. I have no answer when you guys tell me. And I've been having lefties tell you, tell me, I told you so, Sam Holloway, long before you were around. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I'm about 30 years on Sam. And I just have no answer for it. I read that article where he's backtracking on the 2000. And it just, it. I can't even get. To, I can't even articulate it. It's like it, it would make you so popular in this country mm-hmm. if you gave people two grand. It would make yep. you look like you. Were, and if you got into a fight and the Republicans kept you from doing it, it would make them look bad. But why would you voluntarily back away from it? It's like if you're going to take a stand for something. Take a stand for something that will benefit people. And if you lose, then you could say, well, I tried. Do you follow what I'm saying, Sam? I, I, I believe don't you, understand I, I, My guess is a, is a little more pessimistic than yours. I believe it's because the reason they're not helping is because they don't want to. Um, they're, uh, the reason, if you look at the reason Trump was elevated in the first place in the 2016 primaries. Um, it was because the Democrats pretty much handpicked Hillary Clinton to run for president, and they realized how potentially unpopular she was. And I think also there was they re- also realized, and it wasn't all on Hillary Clinton. I think they also realized this is my guess that there was going to be. What's the, the word? Uh, a little post-Obama malaise. Because Obama personally is very popular. But a lot of the shit that went down during his eight years was really harmful, especially to black people. He was a, I mean, I don't know why black people still love him. I guess it's, yeah, I'm not going to get into that because I'm not one of those. But uh, you're not one of those black people who still loves him is what you were saying. Oh, I never did. <laughs> uh, Sam but, Holloway but, is a black person, but he's not a black person who loved Obama. Let's just clarify never, that, that statement. Okay, never. And and it, and but I but I think during his eight years, and it wasn't all him. A lot of it was the, Demo- the you know the Democratic Party in general gave up so much ground to the right wing to the Republicans, and it left a lot of people hurting. And so the solution was. And I think it was some of it, they were winging it. 
if we run, if we can get this guy Trump the nomination for the GOP, we'll walk we'll walk all over him because they're going to see how ignorant he is, how crude he is, how uneducated he is, how how racist he is, and, and everyone's going to come out and vote for our candidate, no matter who it is. Will that backfire? Mm-hmm. But four years of Trump in office, well, now that worked. Four years of Trump plus the COVID pandemic, which was made a whole lot worse. Now, again, a lot of that was Trump's, the Trump administration's gross mismanagement. But a lot of that was systemic issues, which predated him. But it's easier to, you know, people in this country have the political memories of goldfish, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so in comes Biden on the, I think, on the strength of the fear and loathing of Donald Trump. Uh, and he doesn't have to do anything. Why should he? Why, why should he do anything? People gave him this vote. People organized, and they, they got out to vote for him. He broke. I think he broke records. I think he got more votes than any candidate in history. He did. He? Donald Trump got more so, votes than any losing candidate. Yep. So, and based on what promises? Well, one promise. One promise was two thousand dollars. Right. Well, he's on the that one. Yeah, he's on the up on that one. But in a lot of other things, he basically said to our faces, "You're no, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. You're not going to get this. You're not going to get that." It's it's a similar stance to what I remember seeing from Hillary Clinton in 2016 when, you know, she was approached by the progressive wing of the party and the. You know, when people would interview her and ask her these questions and no, that we're not going to do that. That's not realistic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And and I think we're getting we were getting the same thing from Biden, but it was OK because he was not Trump. Yeah. Well, now we're seeing what not Trump looks like. And I think it's going to get a lot worse. Well, I uh, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, Donald Trump couldn't deliver the extra money either. So uh, let's not get it twisted. Uh, Donald Trump promptly, at one point, if you recall, Sam, uh, post-election, Donald Trump out of nowhere said the $600 was inadequate and it should be at least $1,000. I think that's, I'm forgetting them. I think that's sure. the amount of money. And I'm, he goes, I'm going to insist that uh, the checks be $1,000. The Democrats called his bluff and they said, yes, let's raise it to $1,000. And they sent it to the Senate where it died. Mitch McConnell wouldn't let it come to a vote. And Donald Trump didn't lift a finger. So I, I just want to point that out. I feel as though as a lefty that I'm in a, a trick bag. Because the Republicans are worthless. They will never, ever give anything remotely, uh, support anything remotely that I would want. And the Democrats always say, yeah, Ben, yeah, yeah, just vote for us. And then it's, <laughs> then it's wait, where are you? You know, go back to school. <laughs> go to those classrooms. That's a Democrat. You know what I'm saying, Sam? So it's like. I don't know, man. I, this is my whole, if I, if I share this, treat you like you're my uh, therapist. This is my whole life as a lefty in this country. <laughs> well, uh, what can I tell you? Oh, what can I tell you? I, I don't have any solutions that, that don't involve like giant meteors or. Yeah. All right. Inva- uh, well, invasions of extraterrestrials. Anyway, we, uh, we'll have to save uh, these conversations for the next time we're on the show. It's been too long, Sam, since you've okay. been on the show. And, can, I, uh, can I give one, one plug? Go ahead. All right. I'm going to recommend to all your listeners, mm-hmm. uh, find online 
NinaIllingworth.com. Just it's spelled just like it sounds. Uh, NinaIllingworth.com. Uh, she is an analyst who, as far as I know, she's a U.S. citizen hiding out in Canada somewhere. Uh, but she had basically predicted with very little deviation just about everything that's happened in the last few years. Uh, she has a definite understanding of uh, what makes this country tick. <laughs> she was calling Trump a fascist before anyone else would use that F word. Um, yeah, so if you want to educate yourself, and she's not above using some colorful language as well. So it's an she's always an entertaining read as well. So I highly recommend that everyone get on that and give her a, give her a look-see. All right, very good. Nina Ellingworth.com. All right, Nina Sam. Ellingworth, yes. E L L I N. No, I L L I N G. W O R I T H. All right, very good. I got it. All right, Sam, uh, stay safe and sound. Talk to you real soon. Oh, right. you too. Take care, Dennis. All right, that's the great Sam Holloway, uh, dear friend, neighbor, firefighter, uh, and lefty extraordinaire. Uh, any updates, Steve, before we head out uh, for the day? Take care, Sam. See ya. Sam's gone. All right, let's do the back half and let the game of political music chairs begin. Ever since the bus filled with Illinois Democrat, what? What's so funny? It's just musical. I just had this image of the characters in a circle. Hey, I want to sit down. Sorry. <laughs> Ever since the bus filled with Illinois Democratic leaders rolled over Mike Madigan. <laughs> And ever since said elected leaders selected our new Illinois House Speaker, ECW, Emmanuel Chris Welch, we have been seeing a lot of shifting in positions. And it looks like we have some elected leaders looking to move ahead. State Senator Heather Staines announced recently that she will be stepping down from her seat. Still no reason why she stepped down. Ben says it's no big deal, but I personally think something fishy's going on. <laughs> Hey, Staines, why'd you step down, huh? You're not getting up that easy. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but immediately after Staines announced she was stepping down, for some reason, just saying, what happened? We had a front runner, hopeful to get the seat. Yes, it's our dear friend, and I bet she makes awesome weed brownies. It's state rep <laughs> Kelly Cassidy. Literally, right after that announcement from Staines, Cassidy said, yes, I'm going for that seat, damn it. Very honest and very subtle was Cassidy when she made the announcement. Ben, your thoughts on that before we continue? Well, I'm a uh, big fan of Kelly Casey Cassidy, uh, but uh, I think there's got to be a better way to do this uh, than the way we've been doing, the way we fill vacancies. But we'll get into it. I'll see where you're going with this, and then I'll uh, go a little further. All right, moving on. Uh, so right after that announcement, Cassie said, yes, I'm interested, but not so fast, KC. It looks like we have another hopeful looking to take a jab at the Senate seat. State Senator Haynes. Oh, by the way, this comes from Illinois Politico. Shia Kapos. You're awesome. Thanks. State Senator Heather Staines is stepping down from her 7th district seat, prompting Democratic Party leaders to seek applications. The due date is January 31st. 
Mike Simmons, a black business owner in Uptown, is putting his name in the hat, joining Kelly Cassidy, who's already signaled her interest. Simmons owns Blue Sky Strategies, a firm that develops anti-racist public policy, and he works full-time at the Obama Foundation as Deputy Director of the Youth Program, My Brother's Keeper. Ben, what do we know about Mike Simmons? I don't really know much about Mike Simmons at all, based on what you just, uh, other than what you just said. Uh, and um, don't have, I mean, you know, I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag here. To you. Well, I, I was, I did, I've never had the greatest relationship with like with the Obama wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, confession time, dude. So, something about just seeing you in this setting. I, I'm feeling very confessional. Um, I mean, I voted for Obama every time his name was on the ballot. Sam and I would have. <laughs> Great discussions as we go for walks to our neighborhood, uh, Sam Holloway, because he never voted for Obama. And I would always be defending the vote for Obama and he would be uh, criticizing it. Uh, but, you know, like the Obama wing of the Democratic Party has in general contempt for lefties like me and Sam Holloway. And so I don't know. I'm not really tight with uh, the Obama wing of the Democrat. The only one that ever comes on the show is Peter Cunningham. So uh, I have like one friend who is uh, of the Obama Clinton wing of the Democratic Party. So I I just have to make that uh, confession. And that just shows the divide in the Democratic Party that usually gets paved over where lefties like myself and Sam, they want our votes. But they kind of just want to make just vague commitments to us when it comes to policies. So that's just in general, my relationship with the Obama wing and the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party. Well, we appreciate that confession. Anything else you'd like to confess right now? Um, I didn't do the greatest job of shoveling the walk earlier today. Really? Uh, Yes. You know, like usually I go from one end of the sidewalk to the other, but the snow is so heavy and it was so wet that I like kind of left about four inches on one side. So just Hmm. feel I have to make that confession to you. It was me. I didn't go from sidewalk to sidewalk. How about you, President Joe Biden? Anything you'd like to confess? Play the radio. Make sure the television. Huh? Excuse me. Make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Hmm. For, for example, uh, Phil Negro had a great knuckleball. Oh, thank you. But now comes the next big question. Like I said, this is like political musical chairs here, guys. So Kelly Cassidy looks like she's going to run for that seat. And let's be honest, uh, Mr. Simmons, no offense. You're going to get smoked in this race, dude. Kelly Cassidy's probably going to get this. Uh, But... Now, who's going to take Kelly Cassidy's seat if she becomes senator? Oh, politics, it never gets old. And the following comes from Shia Campos in Illinois Politico. Should Cassidy win Stain's seat, the 14th District House seat opens up. It's already prompted a number of up-and-coming Democrats to prepare to apply. Also interested, someone we know. Tom Elliott, who owns his own political consulting firm and previously served as comms director for Democrat... Daniel Biss, Ben's favorite bid, poor governor. <laughs> yeah, he was Danny Biss's. I remember Tom Elliott coming into the studio. Ben, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit here while you interview Dan. And uh, Latissa Wallace, I think he came in with Latissa. I mean, Latissa was uh, Dan Biss's running mate. Uh, and who else? And then for a while, he was working for Mayor Pawar, I want to say. Oh, he's a I mover and shaker, this Tom Elliott. What's that? He's a mover and shaker, this guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good guy. I like Tom Elliott. Always gets back to me. Boom. We have a phone call. Elliott has also worked with state Senate Democrats in the past, uh, political races like Simmons. Elliott, also part of the LGBT community. Uh, which is a large part of Staines and Cassidy's districts. And Angela Inzano is talking to community members and Democratic committee people about the 14th district seat as well. Inzano is director of advocacy and engagement at the Chicago Bar Foundation and was part of the Illinois Women's Institute for Leadership Training that uh, Academy in 2018. So, All right, so here's the situation. When there's a vacancy... I think Heather Staines is up for a re-election in 2022. So it's right around the corner that they'd have to go out. Uh, and God, we're already in 2021, D. Time flies. Time waits for no one. Anyway, uh, so when when uh, this seat runs at, uh, excuse me, she would have to run in 2022. She's stepping down in midterm. Whoever gets to fill the seat will have to run for re-election next year, but they'll have an advantage. And that is the central complaint. They'll be running. I've heard this so many times. I've just, I can recall state Senate races, state rep races just happened with uh, our dear friend, Robert Markwick. And many of these people are folks we like, but this is how the system works. The committeemen get together and they appoint a replacement. And that replacement uh, then serves out the term and has an advantage in the run for re-election because they're effectively an incumbent. And they get to send out newsletters and they may get to make pronouncements and key votes. And it's they have a little advantage. And it's not really fair. It's not really Democracy at its finest. It's giving a lot of power to committeemen. I bet you most people don't even know who the committeemen are that will be uh, convening uh, to select uh, Kelly Cassidy's replacement or uh, Heather Stain's replacement. I bet you don't know that. The only reason I know it is because my good friend Lenny from the Chicago Reader and Indivisible sent me an email. And, and Lenny has said uh, she's getting signatures to a petition that says anyone who throws her hat into the ring to uh, fill out Heather Stain's term has to announce that he or she is just uh, one term. That's it. They're not going to run for re-election. That's the fair way to do it. And that's small d democracy so that everybody else can have an honest shot at it. Uh, I would sign that petition. I think that's the right way to do the most, uh, the fairest way to do it. But of course, Dee, everybody would laugh at me. Oh, you good government types. <laughs> Actually, this is like the land of good government. So I, it's, it's, it's just something undemocratic about it, D. And uh, like, yeah, why is Heather Stane stepping down anyway? She's not done with her term, you know? Uh, <laughs> that's kind of bizarre in and of itself. Uh, and then this, by the way, Heather, this, this is how Heather Stane's got the gig in the first place. I guess I'm the, probably the only one old enough to remember this, but Carol Ronan was the state senator. She stepped down and then they replaced Carol Ronan with Heather Stane's and there, there were people upset about that. And so some things never changed D politics in the city of Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Who, you know, get that, get that vacancy, get to the start of the line and run. 
my my general you're, D, you're going to accuse me of being a hypocrite. You're going to accuse me of being inconsistent. So I'm just going to throw it out there. If I like the person, eh, it's like okay, it's not the end of the world. So I like KC. You know, it's ah, I'll look the other way. You know, what I, mean? I remember it happened with our good friend Robert Peters, state senator from the South Side of Chicago. Oh, what was it, Kwame Rao? Remember when he got he was moved up to uh, he was elected Attorney General. Robert Peters got the game. I like Robert Peters. He's one of my favorite politicians, one of my favorite elected officials. Great guest, and I like KC. So I kind of look the other way, D. Uh, I shouldn't have let that. You hypocrite. <laughs> My Lord. The thing is, Dennis loves KC, too. So I look the other way. I like Kelly Cassidy. <laughs> ah, come on. What's the big deal? It's KC. She makes those great marijuana brownies. So. <laughs> so there you are. That's the latest on what's going on with that Senate seat. And hey, I'm looking at you, Stains. <laughs> what did you do? Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Before we end it out here. How about one more time? It was such a hit in the first hour of the program. What do you say one more time? We do a little Cook County Board President trivia, huh? Okay. <laughs> okay, let's see if I get this one right. Yeah. George Dunn, that's my answer. For those uh, who missed it, Ben, give us a recap of our first round of trivia. Well, the first round of trivia is when we announced that uh, TP, Tony Preckwinkle, was going to run for re-election. Uh, and then Dennis said, so Ben, uh, who has served the most terms as Cook County Board President? And then I uh, foolishly guessed uh, John Stroger, and Dennis said, eh, you're wrong. It was George Dunn. And I was like, dang, how did a kid from Alton, Illinois, know so much about Chicago politics? And he goes, Ben, I read it on the Internet. So that was round one. Okay, well, that last half didn't happen, but that is, that is kind of what happened, though. You know what I mean? We asked Ben the question, and, well, he was wrong. <laughs> so let's see if you can save yourself here, buddy. All right. Let's All do right, one more go. round here. <laughs> Cook County Board President Trivia. Who saw this coming, listeners, huh? <laughs> ben, tell me. Yeah. Who was the Cook... Who was the Cook County Board President in 1991? Oh, uh, Richard Phelan. Is that your final answer? Yes. Are you sure about that? That's your final answer. You feel okay about that? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Good job. (laughs) Yeah, Richard Phelan. uh, He ran. uh, He replaced George Dunn. And I'm not going to do the really silly and juvenile an immature joke that a lot of reporters made. You know, like when you see reporters that come on talk shows, to you, they're like, yes, well, um, yes, it's a very interesting question. I am a reporter and I'm going to act really mature. But then when you get them off mic, they go, hey, uh, Ben, Richard Phelan in high school. You know what they call him? Dick Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Who <laughs> get it, Ben? Oh. I get it. <laughs> Maybe to get some Viagra for that guy, huh? Because Dick Phelan. <laughs> oh, reporters, folks, letting cats out of bags left and right. They act so sophisticated and smart. How about that reporter asking Joe Biden the question, um, uh, in Chicago? <laughs> but then you get him off camera. Uh, hey, Ben, huh? His name is Richard Phelan. <laughs> in high school, they call him Dick Phelan. <laughs> That's how reporters really are, D. 
let the cat out. Oh, oh it's starting to snow again. Oh. I need to get out there and start shoveling. Holy crap. <laughs> uh, Richard Fail, I remember him. He served one term, as I recall. And then John Stroger came in. I love Stroger. Stroger may have been my favorite uh, Cook County Board president. Yeah, don't go dick failing on that shoveling uh, after you're done with the show either. Not All right. really sure what that is about. Uh, you know, take a, do whatever you want with it there. Uh, and yes, Brianna, that's right. Only on the Ben Jarofsky Show will you get Cook County Board trivia. Wait, hold on. Oh, we lost 15 listeners since we started. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a very popular segment, Cook County Board President trivia. Oh, by the way, remember, everybody, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J. Bonus interviews, and so much more at the Chicago Reader website, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Also, you can send us an email. It's true. BennyJShow at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show, at gmail.com. And... You can reach us on social media at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show, and you can call us. It's true. We have a phone number, 708 658 4788. That number again is 708 658 4788. Call us up and let us know what's snowing on. <laughs> Am I right? Ben? All right. I want to thank Sam Holloway. Outstanding job as he always does, my dear friend and neighbor. And of course, the man, myth, the legend, the pride of Joey Malton, Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And Sam Holloway and Dick Phelan will tell you back home in Alton. They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take another petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Play the radio. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Science is back, baby. Thank God. Play the radio. God. Play the radio. Thank God. Thank God. Play the radio. Play. Play the radio. Thank God. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.